Hello, and welcome to Accountability Talks with AGA. I'm your host, Paul Marshall. Today, we're talking with Doug Crisatello from Guidehouse. And we're talking about government loans, credit across the government, a little bit about the history of the government providing loans, and how they've become a very, uh, let's say, popular feature, especially with the pandemic. So without further ado, let's talk to Doug. Hello, and welcome to the podcast. All right. Well, today we have a a fun program for you all. We're going to be talking about the government and giving out loans, how that whole thing started and where we are today. And to do that, we have a great guest. We have Doug Cristatello. Doug, how are you doing today? Hey, I'm doing great, Paul. Great to be here with you. All right. Did I pronounce that right? <laughs> you did. You got it. Nice. Okay. Well, my my work my work is done then. Um, <laughs> so yeah, why don't you tell us, Doug, a little bit about uh, your background, what your specialty is there? Yeah. So uh, my name is Doug Cristatello. Again, I'm a director at Guidehouse, which recently acquired Grant Thornton's public sector practice. So I moved over to Guidehouse just last uh, week. Uh, so happy to be uh here now and uh my focus for much of my career has been uh sort of playing in the budgetary realm Uh, i've worked at both the office of management and budget and the congressional budget office Um, and my particular area of focus has been federal credit and insurance programs I've uh, I've also worked at two large federal credit agencies, the Department of Housing and Urban Development and the Small Business Administration. So um, that's really been my focus through the years, sort of consideration of federal credit, how we budget for it, how we use it from a, uh, as a as a policy choice in certain circumstances. Um, and uh, I advise federal agencies, and I've also worked in academia uh, up at MIT at the Golub Center for Finance and Policy, um, studying issues around federal credit programs generally. Oh, wonderful. All right. Well, then you're, you're the right one for the discussion today. Um, so, yeah, I thought, why don't you uh, kind of walk us through a little bit of the uh, the history here, you know, of the government getting into the whole lending business. I think that'd be a great way to start off. Yeah, sure. So, uh, you know, I must admit, I was working on federal credit for a number of years before it dawned on me as to when did all of this start? Have these credit programs been around forever? And, uh, you know, I went back and, and looked and... Uh, there were the, the government dabbled in credit programs a bit in the 19th century. There were some sort of railroad assistance programs and a little bit around World War One. Um, but in the lead up to the Great Depression, the government basically didn't extend credit at all. Um, with the advent of the Great Depression, uh, the government jumped into that realm in a pretty big way. Uh, 
to provide support to uh, homeowners. I mean, that's when the Federal Housing Administration was initially set up, I think in 1934. Um, also, loan programs uh, were created to support um, not, not only recovery from the Great Depression, but also uh, the World War II readiness uh, and response effort. So there was an entity that was established uh, in the 30s called the Reconstruction Finance Corp, uh, which provided loans to businesses large and small throughout the Great Depression and during World War II. So that's really the what I consider the origins of federal credit are the uh, are the 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 programs of the 1930s. That's where it really all got started, and then just rapidly jumping from there to present day we saw you know after world war ii the reconstruction finance corp was uh disassembled but a number of the pieces remain like the small business administration uh, was created out of the ashes of rfc as was the export import bank fha was still around you know, that was in the 50s, basically. And then in the 60s, we saw the Department of Housing and Urban Development created. We saw the beginning of the student loan program. Um, and then jumping forward to, um, you know, really to the 21st century. I should also mention Department of Agriculture has been a, a consistent player in the federal credit space throughout the 20th century. But, you know, we jumped into the 21st century and um, uh, we've seen uh, a, a real significant growth in federal lending in response to some of the recent crises that the nation has dealt with, in particular, the 2008 financial crisis, and then more recently, the COVID-19 pandemic. So that's it. That's right. the whole history of federal credit. <laughs> Right. So, yeah, because, you know, that's an interesting question. I mean, I'd like to get maybe get into some of those disasters and areas. You know, why do you think, you know, well, why has the government decided to go down the, the credit path, loan path versus, you know, just straight up grants or, you know, other ways of doing things? Yeah, that there's an interesting history there as well. Um, the initial impetus to provide credit you know, and, and again, just going way back is that there are inefficiencies in the private credit market that, you know, things, you know, economists use terms like market gaps and information asymmetries that prevent socially desirable levels of lending from occurring. So the government can at times jump in and close those market imperfections, right? Someone may in fact be credit worthy, but the, a prospective private lender may not fully understand that. And the government, you know, student loans are a great example of that, right? A, a, a 20 year old that's never had any credit experience in their life, um, would appear extremely risky to a private lender. Whereas the government can step in and sort of 
broker the deal between lender and student or provide the funds directly. Um, it's, it's understanding that there are societal gains to be had by educating the populace, right? So it's a whole can of worms to get into student loans in the current context, mm. but that's the logic that there are these socially desirable benefits that accrue um, through certain types of financing arrangements where the government can be a facilitator. Um, and at times, the government could just direct resources into areas that it it it, it deems worthwhile. You know, the, and, and I'm sure we'll talk about that uh, during the course of our conversation today, where the focus presently is in terms of federal credit extension. Sure, yeah, and you know, as we said, like you said, they're really starting to, you see this a lot with with disaster type situations, which keep keep coming up for some reason. Um, but you know, the, 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 the way to go is they're, they're kind of leaning on, on the loans more so than, than other things. And actually I wanted to bring up an interesting uh, an interesting stat, you know, especially because what like the last set of money that kind of went out there during the pandemic and all that, you know, a lot of talk about all these businesses getting money to keep them up and running, but isn't the vast majority of the money usually go to individuals or small businesses, not really the large ones? Well, the, um, yeah, I, I, look, in numbers of loans, that is absolutely true. Yeah, but it, yeah, it's it's true also in thinking about, you know, dollar volumes as well. Um, there are instances where large firms receive credit assistance from the federal government, um, but by, yeah, by and large, uh, you know, the vast majority, uh, you know, upper 90%, I would say, uh, of loans are extended to homeowners, students, small businesses, you know, and then you have veterans for homeownership and, and uh, folks in rural communities and farms. So yeah, typically that is, that's, uh, I think that is a worthwhile way to think about the beneficiaries of federal credit. They're typically small borrowers. Right. I just think, cause you know, all the, the news in the last few years is about like pandemic and some of these loans that are going out to larger businesses, which, you know, they're trying to sustain folks from in a pretty crazy situation, but yeah, it's just interesting that it's, Historically, it has been individuals and smaller businesses that really get that most of these loans are pretty much aimed at, correct? So. Yeah, that, that's absolutely true. I mean, there's been some, you know, some highly publicized large loans that have been made to large businesses through the years. I mean, going way back to, you know, Chrysler uh, 40 or 50 years ago, you know, 15 years ago, Tesla got a, a loan from the federal government. So there are instances of large businesses, although Tesla wasn't large at the time. Um, so yeah, that happens, but most loans are, are more, you know, it's fair to think about them as seeing, almost retail in nature. So, you know, you said you, you, you do have a budget background because I am kind of curious to understand, you know, how, what are some of the, you know, highlights you would point out of how do you plan budget for these credit programs, administer these programs, and also, you know, I don't, 
you don't have the answer to this one off the top of your head, I, but I was just curious, you know, you know, what are repayment rates look like for these programs? You know, do, do we get our money back as a taxpayer or historically speaking or, but yeah, just how do you budget for this? Yeah, um, it's interesting to think about that over time. So we were just talking about the history of federal credit and until 1992, so until 30 years ago, the government budgeted for credit programs on a cash basis. And there are two ty types of ways that the government extends credit. One is by providing loans directly to borrowers. Those are called direct loans, not surprisingly. And the other way is to guarantee private financial institutions will be repaid if they make certain types of loans. So for many years, up until about 15 years ago, uh, student loans, it, it, folks, folks my age know the, the guaranteed student loan program, right? Or the FHA loan program. Those are guarantees where the government steps in and um, in the event of borrower default and makes the lender whole, more or less. Um, so it, it was interesting at that way of budgeting for credit programs on a, on a cash basis, right? Direct loans look like grants and guaranteed loans looked free because a loan typically doesn't default in the first year, right? If you get a loan, e even if you're at a terrible credit risk, you're probably not going to default for a couple of years. So um, there was a real problem with that budgetary regime and that you you weren't reflecting the repayment prospects at the time of loan origination from a budgetary perspective. Well, that all changed again 30 years ago now with the, the enactment of the Federal Credit Reform Act, um, which moved uh, the budgeting regime to an accrual basis, which means that rather than looking at cash out immediately upon loan origination, the government now looks at the long-term expected repayment of a loan. Uh, so we're going to take everything into account. What's the interest rate on this loan? The, you know, what, what is the expected borrower performance? Uh, any fees? The government takes all of these cash flows, sort of all of the cash going out, and it nets that with all the cash coming back in on a present value basis. And it budgets for that cost. So um, it's a much better way of budgeting than was enforced before 1992. Uh, and getting to your question about did folks repay these loans? Uh, yeah, for the most part, uh, most federal credit agencies have federal credit agencies administer loan programs that have low expected um, what are known as subsidy costs, right? How much subsidy is the government extending to make a loan to a particular borrower? And those 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 amounts, those rates are actually quite low across government. And in fact, uh, a number of federal credit agencies 
ha have what are known as negative subsidy rates. So the government the government using its own cost of borrowing anticipates that making loans is essentially a money-making operation for the government, but that misses um, certain risks that the government doesn't account for in its process. But by and large, these loans are to um, pretty, pretty decent credit risk. Yeah, well, that's, I mean, that's good to hear. I mean, it's just, it's amazing how many different federal credit programs are out there. And we talked about it just a little bit, but I mean, high level, how would you kind of characterize the the overall, you know, uh, I don't know, what would you want to call it? It's not really a market, but you know, what 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 are the biggest types of loans that the government is, is putting out there these days? And has that changed recently with all these disasters, you know, yeah. like the PPPs and all that kind of thing? Right, right. Yeah. So the big, the big players are, um, HUD, education, VA, SBA, and agriculture. Um, uh, and we and there's a couple of players that are sort of in catch-up mode, which is some of our international development assistance programs and energy. And we could talk about each of these. But look, with the I went back and and looked at program growth at each of these agencies from 2007 to present. And I adjusted all of this for inflation. So put I, these uh, um, amounts reflect real growth in the program. So between 2000 and the reason I picked 2007, I wanted to see how things compared today with where they were before the 2008 financial crisis. So HUD's in the uh, HUD's portfolio has gone is up nearly tripled. So it was about a half trillion dollars in 2007, and uh, it's presently three three times that amount. So one point, you know, one point five, one point six trillion, uh, and a, a similar growth rate with student loans. So we've seen, you know, uh, two two or three fold growth. Department of Veterans Affairs, same thing. It's the, the portfolio has tripled. SBA's portfolio has increased five fold. So there are these huge increases and we're expecting to see that at in uh, energy programs, clean energy programs and international development programs are experiencing similar rates of growth. So, so what does that mean? Well, the government is intervening in the credit marketplace in a much more assertive way than it did before the 2008 financial crisis and before the pandemic. Um, but you know, it 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 has it has broad significance societally about how the role that the government's playing, but just operationally, sort of an inside the beltway concern is have the administrative budgets of federal agencies kept pace here? And I think the answer is a resounding no. I'm in the process of researching that question 
it's not it's not an easy one to sort of detangle, but I'm I'm trying to sort it out. And um, so we've given these federal credit federal credit agencies huge amounts of additional responsibility and loan resources, but do we have the sort of checks that we need in place within agencies to ensure that these funds are and cre these credit programs in particular are they administered prudently with you know taxpayers interest at front of mind so uh yeah my hypothesis doing my analysis is that uh agencies are are severely constrained in their administrative budgets and uh, and could likely use significant additional resources to manage these heightened credit portfolio levels. Right. Well, and I, you know, I guess as a taxpayer, definitely makes me feel better that we're if we're going to give all this money out, we're going to get some of it back as opposed to just straight out direct payments that, you know, so I, I guess politically it's probably, you know, been pretty successful on both sides to do these things as, as credit versus not, right? Well, yeah, but there are times when a grant is a better idea than a credit program. I, look, I, I think it's an open question. And I, I am a staunch supporter and defender of SBA in running its Paycheck Protection Program and Economic Injury Disaster Loan Program during uh, the worst of the pandemic. Um, you know, SBA did more lending in, in, you know, the two years of the pandemic than they did in their entire 60-year history. Um, so I give them a huge amount of credit for working around the clock and on weekends to get those funds out as they were directed to by the Congress. But I do think it's a fair question to ask, would some of those programs... I mean, PPP in particular, would it have, could it have been run more efficiently as a grant program than a loan program? Um, and that's a, that's a fair question. Um, you know, making a loan is a much more complicated task than simply cutting a check to someone that meets certain eligibility requirements. So, um, and the expectation with PPP and the hope was that most of the borrowers would use the funds in such a way so that the loan did not have to be paid back. So, um, you know, there, there are ways that a PPP-like program would have been, could have been structured, really just the flip of the way that it was administered. You could have structured it as a grant program and if the recipients of the grants didn't do certain things, you would claw the funds back. Instead, it, you know, it was done the opposite. So, yeah, we could have a lively debate about that with the uh, with the crafters of PPP. But um, again, as we said earlier, most most federal loans are repaid. I mean, the vast majority of them are repaid. But when we have a program like PPP, the expectation is. And, and and the public policy objective is to not to have those loans repaid. Right. Yeah. Very interesting. Um, yeah. I was just kind of scanning here. I know we want to talk about 
some of these uh, kind of what's the future of these programs. I did notice uh, we were talking about energy and uh, I was on a website. I guess even the Inflation Reduction Act apparently has all some provisions for loan programs. Yeah. As well, it was, it was, yeah, it was. Yeah, it was saying something about. like a hundred billion dollars just for EPA or something or for energy. So yeah, this is obviously still a lever that's being pulled in these new acts. Yeah, it's potentially. I mean, if you look at all the authorities that are included in the Inflation Reduction Act, I mean, it's potentially hundreds of billions in loans for uh, purposes like clean energy, technology commercialization, uh, advanced technology vehicle manufacture, um, rural and tribal energy development, energy infrastructure, transmission enhancement. I mean, the list goes on and on. I, it really is, uh, that is, in, t in terms of credit programs, I mean, the Inflation Reduction Act hits clean energy hard. And by comparison, yeah. so when we, when we throw out potential for hundreds of billions of dollars, um, the Department of Energy's loan portfolio right now is about, you know, more or less, it's about $30 billion. So when you're talking about throwing potentially hundreds of billions, uh, and not all of that would be administered by Department of Energy, but it's a it's a pretty strong tell about where the government is headed um, in, in terms of priorities for uh, credit programs going forward. Sure, yeah. And well, I mean, you kind of already said what it sounds like, at least the immediate future, uh, you know, what kind of programs are you, are you seeing there? Um, you wanna elaborate on that or you feel that's kind of, that's kind of, we kind of hit the point. We're basically gonna see a lot of these kind of clean energy and things like yeah. that. Yeah, and I think we'll keep a pace with, you know, the government plays a very, very large and pronounced role in extending credit for home ownership. So whether it's through the Department of Housing and Urban Development or Veterans Affairs or even Department of Agriculture has housing programs, you know, the government has not yet resolved exactly how it's going to move forward with the government sponsored enterprises uh, for housing. Uh, um, particularly Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. Um, so there's a huge and continued government role in ensuring that folks that want to buy a house here in America have access to finance. So we're going to continue to see that. Um, SBA is getting larger all the time. Student loans, uh, you know, it's a huge issue. Uh, you know, recently the focus has been on forgiveness and are there ways to alleviate some of the indebtedness that uh, um, uh, students uh, or former students, right? Gra graduates, hopefully, of programs or former ex-students uh, have been under tremendous pressure. But the government's portfolio there is huge. It's it's you know it's in excess of a trillion dollars, and, and uh, you know I'm fond of the the old adage that the government has evolve to a point to be a large financial institution with a sideline in national defense. And that's that's really what we are as, as uh, you know, uh, uh, an author uh, a few years back, Mike Grunewald, uh, a columnist uh, for Politico, he, he characterized uh, the U.S. role as being uh, 
the the U.S. role in extending credit is being the real Bank of America, and I think he's right, right about that. Yeah, <laughs> I like that. Yeah, no, that totally makes sense. I mean, I guess, yeah, is there anything else as far as like the impact on on the world, you know, as far as the economy? I mean, you know, how, how does all this kind of impact the rest of the of the world with us kind of supporting all these loan programs out there? Yeah, it's interesting. And, and it's important to note that other countries do this as well. We're not uniquely situated. I would say the U.S. role in supporting home ownership is more pronounced than elsewhere. Um, but we see these types of credit programs popping up or around the world. And, you know, so there's uh, so as the government becomes an ex extender of credit governments, really, not just the U.S. government, but it, it becomes to some extent the U.S. government and and other governments they become sort of contributors to certain types of systemic risk that exist um uh, globally and uh yeah it's 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 fascinating to think about governments in that way i mean typically we're regulating systemic risk and at times we contribute to it as well right well, um, I just had one more question for you, a little bit of a, a different road, but I mean, obviously with all these credit programs getting bigger and bigger, I would think two uh, communities might be excited about it. One is the OIG, who always like to go find fraud, <laughs> waste, and abuse and all that. And the other would be, you know, just our accounting budget profession, you know, AGA is kind of what we're talking about here. You know, do we have the people with the skill sets to help administer and budget for these programs? And, you know, and what's your opinion on kind of like, the fraud and misuse uh, for the loan program world. Yeah, again, I, I, I think for established federal credit programs, fraud is fairly minimal. I mean, the agencies know what they're doing. They're, they're you know, they're not, they're not typically getting scammed. I think we're in the real trouble, as we talked about with PPP and, and uh, economic injury loan program. Um, yeah, it's when when agencies are forced to suddenly stand something up very quickly and put a lot of money on the street. The the opportunity there for fraud is high and OIGs and the program offices and the CFOs offices across the government really need to be working closely together and and working with the hill as well to you know, most importantly, ensure that programs are created in such a way that minimize fraud risk. Um, but regardless, it, you know, the executive branch is responsible for administering the programs that Congress passes. So, um, yeah, there's plenty of lessons learned coming out of uh, this pandemic. Uh, so hopefully those those lessons will um, you know, be beneficial the next time something like this happens. Right. Yeah. And and I guess my first question too about the kind of the, the skill sets or the staff. You know, I mean, I know for yeah. grants, for example, yeah, we talked about we had a podcast where there really is no kind of a grant competency model, for lack of a better word. You know, just you know, accounting. You get your CPA. You kind of know. You know, you get trained in it. CGFN, all that good stuff. Grants doesn't really have that kind of thing. How about the the credit world? I mean, 
what's the skill yeah. set in the, the workforce? Yeah, I, I, I am concerned about the skill sets, um, which, so, you know, as we have this, you know, as the U.S. government has evolved to a point where it's the world's largest financial institution, it's not clear to me that our analytical skills have kept pace. In fact, I, I, I'm highly doubtful that our skills have kept pace with the, the, the growth that we've seen and the complexity of these programs and, and their underlying portfolios. So, um, yeah, there's a real need. We have all of this data and we have tremendous computational power now, but we need people in government with the analytical skill sets to be able to do things like conduct you know, sophisticated discounted cash flow analysis. And this is where accountants and financial analysts and budget analysts are really, really important. So this is a great field. If uh, if I had to do it over again and start my career in, in government finance, government financial management and budgeting right now, I'd be very attracted to this area, right? credit and insurance programs because it's a growth industry that's for sure absolutely well doug this has been a great conversation um just as we're signing off here anything else you want to mention anything coming up you said you're working on some thought pieces or anything like that to share yeah i am i i'm uh in the final stages of uh writing a piece on credit program growth uh, looking across all the big departments, you know, and sort of documenting this tremendous uh, increase in credit activity. Uh, and But I want to bring that back around to some recommendations for federal agencies in, ter in terms of what they can do to ensure that they are um, being prudent stewards of taxpayer dollars. Great. Well, on that note, well, thanks again for coming on the podcast and uh, appreciate your time today. Great. Great to be here, Paul. That's our show. Thanks for tuning in. AGACGFM.org. That's where you'll find everything, all the podcasts, all the content. And uh, we're coming to the end of the year here. So, uh, Hopefully have a podcast or two for you in December, and then we break into January. So, hope you all will tune in here soon for a few more. And until that next time, this is your host, Paul Marshall, signing off for Accountability Talks with AGA.